I think it's very clear sometimes when people like change or they don't. The reality is we all choose whether we're going to change or not. Coming up, Ariane talks with change expert and best-selling author Jeannie Daniel Duck. Next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. I'm Ariane, and today I'm very excited to be talking with Jeannie Daniel Duck. She is the author of the wonderfully named book, The Change Monster. She's also a senior vice president of the Boston Consulting Group and has worked with companies and people around the world on major change efforts. She's an expert in change management and also an artist. So she brings a very unique perspective to this whole field of change. So with that said, Jeannie, welcome to the first 30 days. It's certainly a pleasure to be speaking with you. I'm delighted to be here. So Jeannie, I guess my first question is, why is it that change is so hard for people? Why is it that we don't just love change, especially when it's the number one constant in life, whether it's personally, professionally, it's all around us all the time. Why is change so hard? I would, uh, my belief is that, that a lot of that has to do with a number of different factors, probably the most dominant being a question of how am I going to do uh, as a result of this change. So maybe some um, lack of confidence, a little self-doubt. When we look at uh, changes in business, the three things that usually determine whether people feel, you know, you can feel stressed, which which can energize somebody. I'm, I'm not apathetic. I'm actually a little stressed out about it. I'm a little anxious. So maybe that gets the energy pumping. That gets people ready to perform at a higher a level. So stress isn't necessarily bad, but distress um, is a much more serious thing because that sort of interferes with performance. And in a work situation, the three things that really cause distress are high demand, low control. So a lot being asked me, and I don't have a choice about it. I'm just being informed that I got to do it. And I think choice is a big issue, both personally and in a work situation. The reality is we all choose whether we're going to change or not. We may sometimes not feel like we have a choice, but so choice is one issue. And it high demand, low control, concern for competence, how will I do? And a third is high visibility. If people are watching me, they'll know whether I've done well or not. And I think those things play regardless of the context, because if I've decided to make a change, um, people can be afraid of success just like they can be afraid of failure. And um, so those things come into play. What will it be like? What happens if I make it? What happens if I don't make it? What are the consequences going to be? Jeannie, just the title of your book to me was very intriguing. Where did the phrase, the change monster come from? Well, I think we were, you know, when I was writing it and, and we were thinking about it and I was talking with the editors, the publishers and stuff, at one point we said something like change is the monster under the bed. Uh, because a lot of times if people are have a lot of anxiety, they are likely to wake up early. Uh, that's one of the physical symptoms of that, where they, whereas depression, you can end up sleeping a whole lot. But anxiety is a lot of waking up in the middle of the night worrying about stuff. And so if a person feels like they have to change, 
or they really want to make a major change and they're not sure how it's going to turn out. I mean, anxiety is a lot around, I, I care about the outcome. If I don't care about the outcome, then I'm not anxious and the change doesn't bother me. If, for example, I'm a young woman and I change my hair color every week, the fact that I'm changing again is no big deal. If I've never changed my hair color and I'm suddenly deciding I'm going to do something flamboyant, I don't know what the reaction is going to be. I don't know what it's going to be like, and I'm trying to make a statement. And so a lot of the anxiety comes from the fact that people actually care about the outcome. They don't know what the outcome is going to be. And so that's when change is anxiety-producing. Have you found that some people are just better at change than others? Can you sit down, talk to someone, and get a sense whether they're going to be good at the change? I think it's it's very clear sometimes when people like change or they don't. I mean, how much change have they had, whether they learned about it. Some people, um, like you were saying, we realize that we're surrounded by change and it's almost like being in training. Uh, I've been through major changes in my personal life. I've been through major changes in corporate life. I've figured out how to do this. I know what it's going to be like. I know what it's going to feel like. Uh, you know, here we go again. And so for some people, uh, it is a familiar experience. And, and clearly when you talk to companies and they've gone through more than one merger, they know what to expect and they know what to what works and what doesn't work. And they understand sort of the ebb and flow of it. If someone hasn't made major changes and is comforted by familiarity and predictability, uh, and they're very uncomfortable with ambiguity, then their ability to change is going to be limited and they're going to need a lot of help get through it. I know one of the tools that you so clearly describe in your book is your concept of the change curve. Can you walk us through that? Well, what I discovered 30 years ago was that Regardless of where I was, if people were going through change, they sounded very similar, regardless of the context of the change. Uh, and I started looking for patterns, and I, I found the pattern, and I've spent 30 years talking about it, ha using it around the world, as have my colleagues. So I'm very uh, comfortable that it is a real phenomenon. The first, the first phase is stagnation, and that's usually when somebody has a, a niggling idea that they need to change somehow. They could be anything from, I've got a school reunion coming up and I want to look great, so i got to get in shape, to the company is losing red ink, we have to make a major change. So there is that sense of change is necessary and that we need to make a change. Once the decision to change is made, then you move into preparation, which is, how do I get ready? What do I need to think of? What are the steps? How will I know if it's working or not working? Then implementing uh, the change. And if, you, if we stick with the idea of the, the reunion, maybe I've decided I need to go on a diet. Well, which one? What do, do I need to buy certain foods? Do I need to purge my refrigerator? Okay, now I'm going to go ahead and do it. And you get into implementation. Now, implementation can take a long time or a short time, depending on the complexity of the change, what typically happens is the initial excitement wears off 
and the difficulty of just sticking to it and making the change actually occur and implementing starts to get harder and you hit what I call the determination phase and that really is am I going to stick with this and make it happen or am I going to you know hit the abort button and and let the whole thing go and determination can come from external causes as well as internal but it really is that that time and it may happen repeatedly where the decision to stick to the change initiative has to be made again and reconfirmed and then worked into the final stage if you're successful, which is fruition. The change has worked, I've stuck with it, and now I've hit the pay dirt, the, the benefits of having made that change occur. I guess one of the questions I'm curious about hearing that is, are there ways of making that a quicker process or not? Or is it a, just a natural unfolding? Like, Can we move through those stages a bit quicker? Well, I, I certainly think, for example, when we saw all the uh, startups during the e-boom uh, of 2099, 2000, et cetera, you saw whole companies go through that in a short amount of time. Uh, if you've got something that you're going to do that once the decision's made and you implement it, it, it doesn't take long to execute, then Clearly, you can go through the whole stage maybe in a day. So it depends, I think, mostly, um, Adrian, how complex change is. And also, of course, what the ramifications are. If I decide I'm going to quit my job and I, because I'm really upset, mad, and everything else, and I march in and I quit, then executing that was fairly easy. I've now left. But now I've got to deal with fallout. And do I really want to stick with that? Do I want to go back and ask for my job back? So it just depends on how complex it is as to how long it takes to go through the curve. You can go through it in a very short amount of time, or it might take years if it's a major complex change. In the first stage, the stagnation phase, I, I know I, I've met a lot of people, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this, who have a change that if they knew how to start or if they had the courage they would probably make, how do we make that stage a bit simpler for people where we, we do give people what they need to go ahead and make the decision to change? Well, one of the things that I have found really useful is um, what I call a change, a behavioral contract. And the first question is, what's in it for me to change? Because if there's not a payoff, if change is hard, and I'm just giving an assumption that change is hard at some point or at some level, if it's difficult, then why would I bother to do it? And so I think the first question is, what's the payoff for me in this? And then the second one, what are the steps that I would need to do? Um, and you can lay those out. And if you can't, you can get some help figuring out what they are. Next question I ask is, how might I sabotage myself? Because most people have gone through attempted change before and not made it all the way through to fruition. So how do you know, how do you sabotage yourself? I mean, if you're talking about the reunion, you, do you decide everybody else is going to look as old and fat as you do so you don't need to worry about it? Or are you going to decide, I just won't go? I mean, what typically, how do you sabotage yourself and change? Now, just writing it down and thinking of it won't prevent you from doing it, but it will make it a little bit harder 
because you know you've now identified this is the behavior I go through. I avoid it. I had a I had a guy fill out one of these contracts one time, and he didn't come back after lunch. And wow. I looked at his contract where it said sabotage. He said I will avoid. Yes, <laughs> he left. Huh. So a lot of times people know how they respond to challenge, and so thinking through how will I sabotage myself. Then what help do I need? Do I need expertise? Do I need guidance? Do I need a group of friends? And I would also say, who do you tell? And only choose people who are safe, people who want you to succeed. A lot of us are surrounded by people who might love us but not actually want us to change. And so finding people who are safe to talk to and to get help from I think is really important. And making and telling someone, I think, is, is important because you're trying to close the escape hatches. If nobody knows that I said I'm going to lose 10 pounds for, before the reunion, they won't look at me funny every time I order a, fa- a fattening dessert. <laughs> if I make it clear that this is one of the things I'm going to try, they may not say anything, but I will know they know. I- and so you're trying, by looking at the ways you sabotage yourself, by looking at the ways who you can get help from, you're trying to make success more possible. So what's in it for me? What help do I need? How do I sabotage myself? Um, What are the particular steps? And then how will I know when it's working and not working? And, And the more specific you can be about measuring progress and then celebrating progress. So if I did something that works, I need to stop and celebrate and say, hey, I did that well today. I need to acknowledge that I did it well. If I didn't do something well and I needed, and I, I need to acknowledge I didn't do it, what happened that caused that? What can I do differently? Where can I get help? And then go on so that you acknowledge successes and you learn from the failures, but you still keep moving. Very interesting. The, the first 30 days of someone who's decided now to make a change. Have you seen in in your 30 plus years of work, does it make a difference how people start off, who they start off with, what they do in those first few weeks? I think it does. I, I you know, I've, I've heard a lot about if you do it for 21 days, you've created a new habit. Well, unfortunately, I often am quite capable of undoing a new habit. So for me, uh, just 21 days doesn't tend to be enough if it's it's a habit I'm trying to change that has been longstanding. So what I I think the issues that we just talked about in terms of who can I confide in, who can I get help from, who will celebrate with me when it works, uh, who will... Talk to me when it doesn't work, but not let me off the hook. I mean, that's the other thing. I might have a whole lot of friends who will commiserate and say, ain't it awful, things are really bad, I wish we didn't have to do this, blah, blah, blah. If that ends up with my now saying, okay, it's okay for me to quit, then it's not really all that helpful, assuming that the change was valid in the first place. So I think who you talk to and the kind of help you get is really important. And I had a, a situation years ago, um, and this this may be too long, but, but let me try to run through it. I had a friend, I was being trained as a therapist, and I had a friend who was a therapist. She said she had a client who 
always came in and was always Weasley and saying, you know, I'm such a loser, I have such a bad life and all that. One day she got really disgusted with the gentleman and said, okay, we all know you're a loser, but if you weren't a complete loser, what would you actually do? And he said, oh, well, if I wasn't a loser, I would do this, this, this. And, that I, and she recognized that he actually knew what to do, but that he was afraid to do it and didn't see himself as enough of a winner to believe he would be capable. So she said, okay, for an hour a day, I want you to pretend that you're not a loser and I want you to experiment with this different behavior. That freed him to experiment with something different rather than having to own a whole new persona that he wasn't yet comfortable with. And so what happened over time was that he kept experimenting with longer and longer periods of time until he finally realized, I actually know what it takes to see. I actually am capable of succeeding. And then he could own his own power. But he had to ease into it because it was such a different position for him. And I think there are plenty of times in our lives when we are scared of something new or don't feel quite prepared. And having the freedom to experiment with new behavior and try it on rather than having to own it totally outright can be a useful device. And I guess what I'm hearing as well is I think a lot of people think that a change that they're making is an external change in their life. And a lot of what I'm what I'm hearing is that it's a lot of an internal chain, more of an identity shift, more of mm. a way of how someone views themselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, I certainly see this in business because if I've been in a company and I've figured out how to go to the top and I've made my moves and I've been very careful and now you change the rules of the game because something happened or something different in the company, then I have to change how I add value and that means how I see myself. And so I've known people who... The, I, I, I did a workshop once on fear of success. And it was really interesting because we had, I had no idea if it would work. It was for um, an insurance company. It said, you know, we've got a whole bunch of people who are really good, but they don't ever pass a certain mark. So we, so I did this workshop. And what we discovered in the workshop was that people had all sorts of inhibitions about being really successful because they were afraid they would pass their you know, I, I, if I if I am this successful, I will be more successful than my father was. And then how will he feel about me? And so people have a lot of things going on that they may or may not be aware of that are inhibiting their freedom to see. And so that's why I said this idea of experiment with a new way of thinking about yourself I find to be really useful, especially if I'm trying to do something I've never done before and I'm afraid. And I think, you know, most most jobs that require us to really learn and to do stuff are scary at sometimes because I don't know whether I'll succeed or not. I don't know whether, you know, what the outcome will be. And I care because it will, you know, my bonus depends on it or something else. And so being afraid is not unusual. 
it's figuring out how to handle it that becomes the, the important part. So if, just to follow up on that, if someone is in the first 30 days of a new job and they feel the fear, they might not feel good enough or qualified for the job, they might not feel they fit into a culture, what are your top tips that you would tell them to be comfortable as they move through that, that new change? Well, I would, I would say use the, the newness uh, to the best advantage because when you're new, you get to ask a lot of questions. You get to do a lot of observation. And certainly, I think, observing how things get done, what people talk about, who are the local heroes, you know, what makes somebody a hero in this place, all of those things are really useful information. And if you are so busy telling everybody what to do, you might miss the opportunity to really see. And I think asking other people, especially if you're, a, if you're in a position of authority to say to somebody, okay, you know I'm new to this job. What are the three things you think I should do? What are the two things that you think I should be careful about? What do you think I need to know that I might not know? Now, they may or may not tell you. They may or may not tell you accurately. But even that is information in terms of who are these people, what are they like, how, how is it going to be to try to succeed here. So I think using newness uh, to gain knowledge of what norms and expectations are is, is a really smart move. Jeannie, in your, in your research both with corporations and with people, have you found that it's important to have a very clear, specific plan or to allow more for flexibility in how things can unfold? Well, I think it depends on the person. I've certainly known lots of people who say you've, you've, what is, you've, got, you've got to have a plan and then you've got to work your plan. My personal experience is that that, that would not have worked for me because my life has been so different than what I would have expected. I would have never, I would have never ended up where I have. And I, so for me, it has much more been, my experience has been, that I want to stay flexible and I want to be able to recognize opportunities when they come. Because the, I think the, I think having a, you know, if you're a planner, that's great. I'm not a planner. I'm, I'm much, I'm, um, I'm much more in the moment and trying to look at things. I may have a general notion about what might be next, but every stage of my career has been really different, I think, and sort of a surprise. It's been a question of recognizing opportunity and being willing. So I'm not a planner. Other people will probably tell you that planning is really important. I think you can see it in different ways, and I just happen not to be a planner. Do you see yourself as an optimist in the changes and the, the benefits that change can bring? I know that you talk about reinforcing the good and looking for what is positive through it. Uh, actually, I'm not an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be an optimist. Uh I think I uh, take much more after my father, who is much more of a pessimist. Um, and so I'm, I, like I said, I would like to be an optimist, but I, in reality, I'm not. I'm, 
But I am, hap- I am often happily surprised. I think one of the other things I do is that I am very much an observer. And I, and I do take the time to relish good things. And I think that that's important. And I, you know, I'm the kind of person who will actually notice that the leaves on the trees are changing color and stop and look at them for a while. And so for me, uh, I, my personal experience has been such that I tend to think life is pretty hard. Uh, and I don't necessarily think life is fair. The good news is that it can be unfair in good ways as well as bad and that I've had some marvelous surprises along the way. So I, I end up in a good place, but I don't start there. Mm-hmm. Do you think people get better at change the more changes that they make? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think part of it, there's a saying that I actually hate, um, and that is, that which doesn't kill you makes you strong. I actually hate that saying because I think that it can also cripple you for life depending on what it is and how hard it has been. Uh, so there, there are things like that that I think are trite and that undermine the seriousness of some challenges that people have to cope with. Because there are some things that life can hit us with that are just devastating. You can, I do believe that pain can be redeemed and that, we can learn important things from it and that we can, we can emerge having learned important life lessons and having a richness that we might not have had. But I certainly wouldn't sort of happily go into something that was really hard saying, oh boy, I'm going to learn something because that, to me, that would just be really stupid. So I don't even know if I answered your question. Oh, you did, absolutely. Do you, have you found that men and women go through change differently? Any, anything interesting that showed up there? Well, the most interesting thing that I noticed was actually occurred years ago. I was doing, I got really disgusted because some women came out with uh, a thesis that women were not good team players uh, because they had been on uh, teams like football and that men were just automatically better team players than women. And I thought that was, uh, fairly ridiculous because I'd been uh, done a lot of team activities with women, and I thought that that fell a short, and it bothered me that women had put it out. But so I did a lot of research with executives of different size companies, asking them, you know, so how would you rate women as players and stuff? And they said, I guess what I would have expected, which is, gee, some are good, some are not, you know. Uh, it's sort of a distribution kind of the way is there's a distribution for men. Don't see that much of a difference. What they did say and what I did was able to observe and confirm later was that women seem to be fairly different on a couple of dimensions. One was they seem to see the gestalt of things much more. So the, the overall all flow of things. Do they fit? Do they not? Uh, if we say we are doing something, are our actions congruent with our words? And that men tended to um, see things much more as a, a flash cut, a piece of something. So if, uh, if it wasn't congruent, it didn't 
bother the men to the extent it bothers women. And so if a woman said, look, we've, we've said we're going to, that, uh, I'll just take an example. If we've said that if someone has, um, is abusive as a manager, then we are not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. And there's Fred, who everybody knows really is mean to his employees, and we haven't done anything. When are we going to do something about Fred? And what, what my experiments and research showed was that men really wanted very much not to have to deal with those kinds of issues. And when they did finally have to, because it got so bad they had to, then they just wanted to sort of get rid of the guy completely so they could push it away. Whereas women were more bothered by the congruence and they saw the, the discontinuities much, much sooner and were more willing to deal with them because they, were, they found it bothersome. One of the, the things that I noticed in the book was when you are consulting to a company that's about to go through a big change, it might be a, a merger, an acquisition, an IPO, you tend to give them a little bit of advice up front. And I'd just love it if you could share some of that here. Well, I, th- I think a big piece of it is the recognition that these are emotional events. They're not just operational or financial, that they really have huge emotional ramifications for people. And when you were saying earlier about changing how you see yourself, that often is part of what happens when a company goes through a major transformation. That you are suffering an example, let me give you, um, people working in silos and they've worked in a function or a plant or a location for a long time and they're very uh, attuned to that location or that function. Well, if you reorganize, then suddenly they may be working with different people from different functions or locales. They may have to change their daily routine. How, what they bring to that group of new people is now under question and time to be reformed. All of that stuff has fallout, and all of it impacts the amount of value created, the time it takes to create a new way of working, et cetera. So part of what I think people have to recognize is that while change may be operational, it is also very much emotional and that you need to pay attention to the emotional aspects of it because they will have a huge impact on whether or not the changes are successful. I know that you've worked all around the world. Have you seen people's ability to respond to change, both personally and professionally, very dependent on the culture that they're in or that they might have grown up in? Well, it's interesting. Uh, When I wrote The Change Monster, the um, publisher told me that it was a very American book, and I I just had to say, well, I don't know how to make it not American, uh, so that is what it is. And the assumption was that it would not travel. And no sooner did it come out than it was translated into Korean and ended up being translated into about nine languages. Um, and I've had the, the opportunity and pleasure to work with people around the world since then. And I think that at the basic, basically we are very much the same. That doesn't mean that our cultures, both national, national cultures as well as company cultures, don't have an impact. The one place, you know, I think... From a business perspective, if you can say these are the actions we want to see, highly 
compliant cultures, which tend to be German and, and Japanese, are more likely to go ahead and do what they do. But to the extent that you want people to figure out what is new and what needs to be done and how it will get ex executed, then that those are the more difficult changes. Those are the ones that we have more similarities than differences because that's, those are the ones that require somebody to say, how do I see me? What would I do if I could do it my own way? And that's a very different kind of change than we're swapping one cookbook for another. Jeannie, one of the things I do with all the experts and the people that I am privileged to speak to is I ask them three first 30 days signature questions. And they are, they're more about change in general. Um, and it's been a very interesting opportunity to sort of see how people respond differently. So the first question is this. What is the belief that you personally go to when you're in a time of change? I usually go back to sort of a fundamental belief that existentially I will be okay. And sometimes it really is existential as opposed to I'm going to come out of this thing feeling great. It's much more, you know, who I am as a being will be okay. Uh, the, the other thing I do is stop and think about why do I want to do this? Do I want to be involved? And I think that whole issue of what's in it for me, why do I care, why do I want to be involved is important, especially for sustainability. Here's the second one. Fill in the following sentence. The best thing about change is... You often get wonderful surprise, and the surprise might be from yourself or from other. The final question is, what is the best change that you have ever made? Well, I think the best change project that I was ever on was one uh, where we did a, trans uh, a huge transformation for uh, Freightliner trucks, where we changed almost every dimension over about three years. That was extremely satisfying. Uh, I think I came into BCG as the first person who was ever hired as a partner, which probably won't mean anything to your listeners, but it was a sort of a signature event, or a singular event anyway, and I was the first specialist, the only person who did numbers. And I will have been a partner for 20 years, and I... I do feel confident saying that I have helped change BCG, the company I work for, fairly dramatically. So I feel good about that. Thank you, Jeannie. I know that the wisdom and thoughts that you've shared with us today will certainly continue to change many more people people's lives. And I just want to take the opportunity to really thank you. I hope that our paths cross one day. Um, we have definitely some some similar things. I know that I've learned a lot, and I'm sure I will. I could learn quite a bit more from you if we met. Well, I, I would look forward to that opportunity. We have been speaking with Jeannie Daniel Duck. She is the author of the book The Change Monster, The Human Forces That Fuel or Foil Corporate Transformation and Change. Jeannie, thank you. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. For more interviews with our Change Masters, Come to visit us at first30days.com. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Change Nation from the First 30 Days. 
Please visit us on iTunes in the Society and Culture podcast section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of the first 30 days incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved. Thank you.